Ahoy, fellow profit seekers. And welcome aboard the Joy of Trek, a human podcast exploring Quark's bar and women's clothes shops of Star Trek. All, All of, of it. it. I'm Kaki. I'm Kay. And high in the Tower of Commerce is your chief engineer, Greg. Together, we're on a mission through Quark's childhood home of Star Trek to f- get pretty desperate on the script there. Yeah. <laughs> to find the gold-pressed latinum in every boudoir. Ooh, I like that. And the good in every episode. Even the chicken paprika. <laughs> because every episode must be someone's favorite, and it might as well be us. So gird your loins and join us as we liquidate into... The, the Joy, Joy of, of Trek. Trek. Getting good at these scripts. Yeah. Did you put the girder loins in or was that already in no, there? No, 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 that was from the... Uh, oh. I thought that was kind of appropriate to the clothes being donned and uh, doffed. Nice! <laughs> so. Excellent! Yeah, today we're talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine, Season 3, Episode 23, Family Business. First air on May the 15th, 1995. Written by Stephen Burr and Robert Wolfe and directed by uh, René Oberjonas. Uh, sorry, Jonas. René Oberjonas, yes. Who plays War, um, Odo? All right, that's Rene Aubergenois. Uh, I think there's an O missing oh, yeah. there, oh, yeah. and there's also an Ira missing. It's Ira Stephen Bear, but. Oh, that... okay. Well, I'm just. I can like, leave middle names out there, can't I? Or do, do they requ- it... Does the Writers Guild require me to. Ah, they're on strike anyway, I don't care. Whoa! <laughs> no, no! Okay, stop, stop! We're, we're in solidarity with the writers, aren't I we? Know, I know, but they can't do anything to me because they're striking. No, I'm, I'm totally in solidarity with them. Okay, good. <laughs> okay, yes. No. <laughs> if we're on strike, I'm not going to abide by their rules. No, hold on. If we support them, that means we should show their support by acting okay, as... Okay, okay, okay. I mean, you don't have to, <laughs> but I, mm, I will judge you. I can beam him into the room where we stored the self-stealing stem bolt, sir. We, we can have a huge schism between us, much like Quark and Roman Ishka. Hey, but today's episode was recommended to us by a friend of mine, oh. Rugger. They're an author out in Canada, also an excellent rugby player. Mm-hmm. And I had the privilege of recording the audiobook for their debut novel last year. Oh, very yeah. good. Yeah, Quantity of Desire. It's, mm. a, it's a very good sort of coming-of-age fantasy story, but from a, a pretty unique perspective, because uh, I, I don't think I'm being indiscreet when I say it, but during the time that Rucker was writing their novel, they also realized they were also diagnosed with autism, something oh. that they didn't know about themselves yet. Right. And so, like, initially when I read it, and I had some comments, like, there's a certain passivity to the protagonist, Mm -hmm. which their other editors had also remarked on. It's not tremendously proactive. But this felt very true to Rugger's experience of their own journey to to adulthood through, you know, their neurodiverse perspective. Yes. Oh, that's interesting how that would come out in, in, in a situation like that. Yeah. So that was fantastic to read. And so obviously I knew that they were a huge Star Trek fan. So when we were starting this podcast, I wanted to get some some perspectives and they delivered. Fantastic. Because what Rugger shared with us were episodes that were not necessarily like hugely good, hugely bad. Some of them are actually considered middling, but that they genuinely love. And in the case of family business, because in this episode, Quark returns to his home planet to confront his mother, Moogie, yeah. after hearing from the Ferengi Commerce Authority that she broke the law by earning profit. And in a side plot, Cisco meets Captain Cassidy Yates as a romantic interest, which Cisco has discovered his son has told most of the state about. <laughs> yes, this is the first time she shows up, actually. Yes, uh, It's also right. the first time that both the Liquidator and Mookie show up. Those are those are all three first appearances for, of those characters in uh, DS9. Oh, excellent. Penny Johnson Gerald is, I think, the woman who plays Cassidy Yates. Cassidy, Cassidy Yates. It was Andrea Martin as Ishka. Hello, Quark. You haven't changed a bit. 
who was did not return to play the role for further appearances of the character. Oh, is that right? Yes. Uh, so there was a different actress who played her in the other times that she appears in later episodes. Ah, because she does come uh, back. But she did play also in Whack the Dog and My Big Fat Greek Wedding, and she's done quite a lot of voice acting as well. Oh, I can see why. So, uh, so, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I hadn't recognised her, even though I have seen and enjoyed Wag the Dog. I did recognise Cassidy Yates, Penny Johnson, mm. Gerald. She's from 24, and I think she's also currently, I think it's still currently, in, on the, the Orville. Oh, okay. As the medical officer. I think I've gotten that right. All right, that sounds about right. And, well, while it may be the first time that Liquidator Brunt of the FCA shows up in DS9... Brunt, F-C-A. It's not Jeffrey Combs' first appearance by a long shot. <laughs> I mean, they, they do like to come back to actors for like playing different parts, especially on the, when they're heavily under the makeup, isn't it? Yeah. I, I think he has the most, or he's tied with the most number of different roles and characters and aliens that he's played. On Star Trek. <laughs> yeah, because like in Enterprise, he was Shran, the Andorian captain that they oh, occasionally yeah. meet. Captain Archer. Look at the trouble you've gotten your pink skin into this time. Um, I think he's also played a Romulan. Like, this. who hasn't he played <laughs> at this point? Oh, oh, on DS9, Avorta, he's Weyoun. Romulans, they're so predictably treacherous. Oh, okay. I don't think I'm familiar with that particular species. Oh, interesting. They're the Dominion's representative, and he's a, he's a recurring character through the later seasons. Seeing him in this role, he has so much fun. <laughs> I mean, he does get to play a very ultimate Ferengi. We came up with a new segment, which is ejecting the warp core, where we get to air all our grievances that we have about the episode before we continue with the joy of Trek rather than the bitching of Trek, which... Actually, yeah, this is a great idea. We'll eject the warp core first, and then we'll read the letter of recommendation. So we've gotten that out of our system. All right. And okay. then we'll get into a... Yes! I say we eject the warp core! So, Actually, I don't have any gripes about this episode. Neither do I. It's, it's hugely sort of sexist and misogynist, but that's the point. Right, yes. It's exploring a sexist, misogynist conservatism regarding values that are just bad. Yep, absolutely. And But there's, yeah, I, I have no nothing to bitch about in, like, at least no, no technical things, like, oh, that doesn't work like that, or this isn't, it's just... Yeah. Uh, yeah. And, like, I would not like to live in a Ferengi society. Oh, no, where absolutely you have to, not. But I am... Like, fascinated seeing how tremendously internally consistent it is. And you can, more than we've ever been able to in Star Trek, you can totally imagine, ah, this is a functioning society that you know, produces... Yes. Yeah. You know, I mean, I, I love the whole, that, like, the constant tipping and bribing. And, right. And, I mean, I've seen that in, in cultures where it's, you know, where tipping is more of a common thing. And I'm like, especially, like, Egypt, where it's like, you know... There's a word for it, isn't it? For Bakshis. Bakshis, yeah, yeah. Just the, the practice of money changing yeah, hands. Constantly, as a, everybody is like tipping each other for even for not really doing anything. It's just yeah. like the dude who sits there in the gatehouse doesn't do anything. All you do is stop at the gate, you tip the guy, and then you drive on. Yeah. The sort of hustle culture I or, guess, or yeah. gate culture, which obviously is hugely exploited in modern capitalism. But uh, I knew that from a visit to Moscow in about 10 years ago, where my friend whom I was visiting, like, absolutely astonished me when we needed to get somewhere. He didn't have a car of his own. We didn't want to bother with the cab. So he just walked up to some cars waiting at the traffic lights until one of them rolled down his window. He mumbled something. We got in, we passed him some, some rubles, because apparently it's quite common to just, like, ask and pay for a ride. Okay, yeah. I mean, like, it's kind of like the thing that Uber pretended that they wanted to be yeah. when they started up. It's like, yeah, yeah, we're just connecting people yeah, together. Yeah, people who are going to want to go from one place and, like, have some room in the car and, not, like, in someone else who wants to go there can Yeah, just, like, like Airbnb. No, it's right. just casual. It's just for people to make a little extra <laughs> but money. But, yeah, I it's love that, a... like, when they arrive in the uh, in 
Quark's house on Frangenar. Yeah. But like the guy just stands there holding out the stuff and it actually takes Quark a second. Oh yeah, shit. You tip people when they go into the house and like, yeah, sign, yeah. sign the contract and like <laughs> the, the disclaimer and, <laughs> and it goes into the special box, which yes. is also at the FCA tower. Yeah. All of these like <laughs> character, characteristic cultural tropes that are just fascinating in this world. How they get put in there. Yes, totally. And a lot of that is what Rugger, like, unironically loves about this episode, because they do mention, like, it's not horribly bad, it's not so bad that it's good. But they say, I think a problem with a lot of sci-fi is their propensity to one-note species. Mm-hmm. And Star Trek is often no exception oh, to yeah. that. Right? The Klingon are honorable and violent, and the Vulcans are logical, and the Ferengi are profit-obsessed and misogynistic. And then we meet Ishka. The episode is funny, but also manages to really develop and complicate the characters of Quark and Rom, which I fully agree oh, yeah. with. While keeping the flavor of Ferengi culture, Ishka criticizes Ferengi society, but she is still fully Ferengi and not a stand-in for humans are the best. You know, the human way of life is is better. She doesn't want to escape. She doesn't want to end the core values of Ferengi society. Just like she just wants equality, basically. Yes. Which is a a very suffragist thing, I guess. Oh, right. Yeah. Women, like, demanding the vote. And in this case, the demanding to write to wear clothes and earn profit. Yes. Just essential, like, equality and let's not worry about what chromosomes or mivonks someone may or may not happen to, to have or how they express themselves. Yes. We open with uh, Cisco cooking. He's humming quietly to himself. Jake arrives. Uh, tells oh, he's got him. such a good voice. Yes. Even just humming, like there's a real mm. sort of, hmm. Yes. Jake mentions that apparently the dealings with the ambassador went well. And Cisco goes, how do you know that? Well, right. still, you only make Hungarian food. You really good happy. mood, yes. Although he does call it papikish instead of paprikash. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> what uh, does go into paprikash? Other than, of course, you know, I don't know. peppers. But because- I don't exactly know what... I mean, the only Hungarian dish that I know how to make is goulash. And that is oh. most basically stewed beef with onion, peppers, and lots of paprika. Hey, like... Of all the things that came to the New World, or it came from the New World to Europe and spread out, like potatoes, huge, huge impact, yeah. tomatoes really settled around the Mediterranean. That's yeah, because they grow well there. So how did Hungary wind up just totally centering around paprika? I don't know. You know, peppers, which is the same. Bell peppers, yeah. yeah. I mean, Hungary is much more landlocked, much has much more of a right. land climate. I don't know. It's just it's borders just with cultural with, thing with, that they just got a cultural obsession with that particular spice. Yeah. I mean, it just, it's just, they cook with it like it's onion. Yeah. I mean, paprika is like, yeah, it also grows very well in the Mediterranean because, oh, true. Yeah, you know, that's. But the paprikas oh. that are used for making paprika aren't at all like bell peppers. I mean, if you'd like tried using regular bell peppers, the one that we eat, even the, uh, the sweet paprikas, you'd need like tons and tons of them and they wouldn't make very good paprika powder. There's a different, right. It's a different species. Oh, sorry. Is that made from the seeds, the rinds, or like some no, it's component? No, the, dry, the dried, uh, Oh, the whole thing. I think it's the dried whole thing. But yeah, they're much smaller and more leathery, and, and, and they wouldn't be good to eat mm-hmm. at all on their own. But yeah. But they're great to convert great into if, spice. Yeah, if, they're, if you turn them into a spice. Oh, the Cisco home must smell amazing every oh, day. Yeah. Dick's kind of in a rush, because he's, he's yeah. mentioned before... Captain Yates is back on the station. Huh. There's this freighter captain that I'd but like yeah, you to why, meet. Why don't you go meet her? She's like, oh, maybe come over for dinner tomorrow. And Jake, I think we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. I know you want me to meet her, and I will. Just let me handle it my way. Cisco's response, Avery Brooks's performance throughout this is, I think, really amazing because he's 
quite controlled. He's setting like emotional boundaries for himself that he's holding and still like making commitments. Okay, my son thinks this is important. It's important to me as well, and I will do it, but I'll do it my way. Yeah, totally. Meanwhile, in Quarks, the place is bustling. I love this scene. The place is packed, and uh, yes, uh, Rom and Quark are wondering where Nog is, or at least Quark is, and Rom tells him that he gave him the night off to study for his Starfleet entrance exams. Oh, and we see how upset Quark is at that yes, prospect. It's going, to, it's going to ruin Ferengi culture, like if a Ferengi joins Starfleet. One- Actually, he accuses him of wanting to be a human. Yes. <laughs> He's a disgrace to his family and to Ferengi everywhere. He should be here. Helping us earn profit, not in this room learning how to be more like a human. <laughs> but Nog is much more of a supportive parent, and he's like much more casual and a little bit dismissal of Quark's fears. And like, oh. Nog isn't going to destroy the Ferengi way of life. He just wants a job with better hours. <laughs> <laughs> this set up their relationship so well, because this is sort of Rom. Like, he is the put-upon younger brother mm-hmm. in the shadow of a much stronger personality. Right. He doesn't exactly hold his own. But he also isn't totally devastated by the intensity of his brother's opinions. Right. You know. Which I thought made it actually interesting that it turns out later when uh, we get to Ferenginar, mm. that it turns out that Nog was the favorite child. Rom, Rom. Sorry, Nog Rom. Is, no, 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 yeah, Nog is... Uh, Nog is Rom's yeah, uh, son. Uh, son, yes. That he, that, yeah, Rom was the favorite one. Yeah. And actually, Nog, that's a good point. Yeah. Because there's also a suggestion, and I don't know how much of that we're supposed to read into, but that Quark grew up significantly poorer than Rom did, that the family was way worse off. Like, he talked right. about how all he had was a wooden chew stick, whereas Rom got a, got a latinum tooth sharpener, sharpener. Yeah, I, th- I, th- I think that was more favoritism being played on by the parents than, like, I mean, they don't... Oh, interesting. There's, there's not that much a difference in age between them. I mean, okay, Quark's the older brother, but I don't think he's much older. Right, right. So yeah. you think it's more, oh, maybe like you know, recognizing yeah, you know, younger child being, softness. Yeah, and, I mean, the, the older child always gets the, the harsh treatment. And then when the young, younger one comes along and is like, but they're, fresh they're, baby. They're, getting yeah. away, they're getting away with things that would have like gotten me sent to my room. And like, that's like, <laughs> I, mean, I mean, you're an older brother yourself. Did you, have, did you experience that? Like, yeah, well, I, like, I certainly like, experienced that sort of narrative. I don't necessarily really that I felt that my brother, whom I love, was able to get away with things. It's like, I mean, obviously we had resentments between us right. that took a long time to, to evaporate. But I guess it's the competition between siblings is hugely varied and complex and comes yes. from like a very deep, essential sort of competitiveness for attention mm. and specialness right. and developing your attention. And I think you just grab onto excuses. Yes, that, that can see other I'm an only child myself, so so that our listeners understand that. Like, that's, that's why it's interesting right, to have yeah. this discussion with you, because we can look at these things from uh, different perspectives. Chief Engineer Greg here. From my perspective as a youngest sibling, a lot of my learning was done based off of the stories that I heard from the things that my older siblings had done or from directly watching things that my older siblings done that got them in trouble and seeing that and thinking, oh, don't do that. That'll get me in trouble. So that's just my perspective as a youngest sibling. Also about this scene, I just love how busy they are. To see them the whole yes. time, like picking up glasses and cleaning this one and making this tray and moving it over there. They're Absolutely. Like, it's like they're actually running a bar. Yeah. It's, and they're they're clearly well tuned into each other because like they're ducking under each other's arms. They're reaching across from each other. It's well choreographed without being, I mean, of course, it's 
for the purposes of the shot, it was obviously choreographed. But if, yeah. you, if you're working in a kitchen or a bar with someone that you connect with, then yeah, you just like walk around, you anticipate each other's movements, you, you keep an eye out. Like if you see them working on a particular drink that you know that the bottle that they need is on your side, you just already... You might as well. You've yeah, got a hand exactly. free. Pick it up, hand it over, and like it's already there for when they need it. They Constant spatial awareness. Because, yeah, there's, there's dozens, hundreds of patrons in, in Quark's bar. They're understaffed, but they're clearly managing. But it put me in mind of like when the dwarves come to oh, Bilbo yes. Baggins' yeah, yes. house I, in the home. I know what you mean, yes, where they start like tearing the place apart while <laughs> throwing everything around. like doing And then this doing the dishes. Massively choreographed dance of it, yes. And just tossing dishes all over the place. And in the end, it's fantastic. Yeah. And then you do sort of realize, oh, they have this incredible spatial awareness and coordination. No wonder they get shit done. Yeah. And these are the rubbish dwarves. <laughs> <laughs> but their bickering is interrupted by the appearance of someone with an even fancier jacket than either of them. Yes. Brunt, F-C-A. Who put some fancy-looking seal on their door, which is called... A writ of accountability. We're in trouble. Which, guess, means the auditors have just arrived and are going to go through your books. Yep. Ron panics and throws everybody out of the bar. All right, everyone. The bar is closed. Everybody else, go, go, go. And, and hardcore bustles people out of this, this bar. And we go to the credits. And then we had our little debate. Are we going to watch the whole credits? <laughs> or are we going to skip? Okay, so we decided we on a sort of UN Security Council uh, structure where, <laughs> where either of us can hit skip. And I think we skipped on this one, although it did take a bit to find the skip button. So I think we actually listened to it like 1.1 times in total. Oh, no, we did skip a significant part. But yeah, Brunt is busy checking the books. He's got a pad in his hand and he's going through them. He's like, asked us. Are these all your assets? Rom and Quark answer at once. <laughs> Yes. No. Which, which earns Rom a kick from Quark. Yeah, by the end of the scene, he's limping away. Yes, he keeps, he keeps, so much. He keeps getting kicks. <laughs> but yes, again here we see the... But you haven't even told me what I'm being charged with. No, I haven't. You see him... Oh, yeah. Quark goes, oh, get, yeah. Gets, gets out the first <laughs> strip of latinum. Uh, or sorry, no, slip of latinum, sorry. I think. Yes, yes. I think it slips, strips, and then bars, or is there one I in between? I don't know. Chief Engineer Greg here. So... A hundred slips of gold-pressed latinum equals one strip of gold-pressed latinum. Twenty strips equals one bar of latinum. And this is the first time we see that, because then he's like, oh, yes. Uh, You're being charged with violating Ferengi trade bylaws, subsection 1027, paragraph 3. Subsection 1027, paragraph 3. I'm not sure I'm familiar with that one. But I'm oh. sure you have a copy of the rules with you. <laughs> hands over another two slips. and then it... It's really interesting. Like, you see how conservative and traditional Quark is when it comes to Ferengi values. But right away, we're confronted with there's a lot that he's forgotten. Just... Or at least, yeah, gotten out of the habit of. Right. Because he's, which is interesting, because there's like quite a few Ferengi coming to DS9. Is there? I mean, mostly we see them working for him in the bar. Right, but when he's going, we see the shot a little bit later when they're heading to Ferenginar, there's like several other Ferengi walking around the corridor. Oh, right. Taking the transport right. to Ferenginar. So I, I presume that they show up, that they work there doing other things. Uh, or maybe they're just traders, you know. You'd expect them to come along and be in quarks. I mean, by the time that you've left Ferenginar, maybe you want something else. This yeah. was Rugger's point, that 
there are a lot of really homogenous cultures and us having come off of Farscape very recently, like that's really confronting because Farscape, have we ever met any character of a given species or culture that really exhibits the traits that that culture is known for? Yes, yeah? but that's not the main characters. And even those others. Oh, oh the- the Nibari come to mind. There's a few of the ones who hold... Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, the, yeah. The uh, rest of the ones who are holding Chiana when, when she first comes aboard. Oh, good point. The ones who are very... Yeah, the, the controlling ones who are about to take her back and uh, put her through, uh, basically conditioning her to get back to be a good Nabari. That's a really good example. And in an unexpected and probably ineffective bit of cross-brand promotion. We've recently <laughs> been invited in the sort of time stream of whenever this comes out. This may not make a lot of sense. Uh, it's, but probably, it's probably going to be in the past. Right. So on October 3rd, I think we're going yes. to join uh, actress Gigi Edley on her uh, Twitch stream, and we're going to look at some Nabari episodes right. together. So we'll have a I lot think, more to I talk think about it would be better to say we will have, we ha- uh, we have, have been, been on. Ah, uh, yes. <laughs> 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 and Temporal yes, well, I mean, okay, peacekeepers. We meet lots of peacekeepers who are typical for the peacekeeper thing. And Luxons were in the very last episode. The Luxons on board the ship that rescues. But anyway. Spoilers. Wrong, wrong podcast. <laughs> wrong podcast. Oh, but like, <laughs> those are some very good examples. But we have many, many more examples right, of, of individuals and who especially, are Especially the main contrary. characters are never, yeah, none of them are typical for their species. And like Star Trek has done that as well. Like some of my favorite characters are ones that sort of buck the trend. As mm. we learn eventually, like Spock is an unconventional Vulcan. Oh, yes. Well, he's a half Vulcan, so. And Worf is a very try-hard, but like Kalar, Worf's romantic interest in the early seasons of uh-huh. uh, Next Generation. Like she was a very worldly woman and quite different from other Klingons that we meet. And so here we see a much more... Yeah, Brunt is a much more Ferengi Ferengi than Quark is. Yes. He says it himself. How do you get to be an FCA liquidator anyway? <laughs> Hard work. Bribes. Sucking up to the boss, just like any other job. So, oh, are you sure that this is everything? And he goes, well, you know, it would be very bad if you're withholding anything from Ron, did you give him the prophets of, about this, uh, the, the, the wineberry business or something, or what he says? Like, oh, the tuliberry wine business. That's the one. Kicks him over again to make sure to, to go get it. And uh, We saw a bit of that in an, in an earlier episode of Deep Space Nine, those, those tuliberries. They love them in the Gamma Quadrant. Ah, yes. That caught the attention of the Dominion. Ah, uh, and then, yes, it turns out that Amugi is being charged with... Earning profit. And Earning see, profit? Amugi? Like, <laughs> you see Quark rubbing his head? Oh, God, yeah. He's, you can see the, the lobe ache is already starting to settle in. <laughs> Quark goes to Odo, says he's holding him personally responsible for uh, his bar and everything inside it. Even though he plans to keep Rom there, to keep an eye on it while it's closed. Yeah, well, he doesn't trust Rome. No. And, yes, Odo's just mildly sarcastic, as he usually is towards Quark. I have no intention of spending my latinum to make restitution for her crimes. I will wring that confession out of her if I have to. This is your mother you're talking about? Don't remind me. I sort of appreciate that this scene is in here, despite the fact that René Aubergeois was uh, directing. directing the episode, yes. Because these scenes between Quark and, and Odo, like, they're so standard but they're also always completely alive with just personality and yes. joy. And he does the scoffing. Oh, you can't have a Quark and Odo scene without Odo scoffing. Ah. Yeah. Followed by a first of many scenes with Cisco in this episode where out and about doing station things and whomever he is talking to, 
hassles yes. him about the meeting with the captain of the freighter. <laughs> yeah, first it's Kira, with whom he schedules the inspection for the new Shuttle. runabout, yes. and uh, that he wants to call it the Rubicon. Apparently, she recognizes that as an Earth River. Well, apparently, she. I guess she knows that shuttles are named after Earth Rivers, because that's the naming scheme that they're using on DS9. Oh, yeah. All the shuttles are named after Earth Rivers, and she actually says, like... You know, the rate we go through runabouts is a good thing the Earth has so many rivers. Yay! (laughs) I wonder if they're ever going to have the runabout Amstel. Oh, that would be funny. But no, I don't think so. I think there's a bit of trivia about that, actually. Is there? Not about the Amstel, but about the Rubicon's replacement for the shuttle Mekong. Oh, which yeah. was lost at the Battle of the Omarion Nebula in the yeah. Dice cast. Um, Let me see. They had a bunch of other ones. I know the Rubicon quite well. That one comes up a few times. They had the Orinoco. Mm. The Rio Grande, of course. Rio Grande, yeah. I think that's the first one, isn't it? Oh, it's a really great sort of naming scheme. It is. I mean, like, might as well go for it. Exactly. I see you reading from the trivia. Like, yes. makes me curious about some of the opinions that this episode has had. I see you found one from Jammer's Reviews. Yes. The intent of the episode seems to be to somewhat change the Ferengi to fit better into the Roddenberry universe. Family business, however, completely misses its own point. Through the arguing, fighting, and eventual reconciliation with Rom and his mother, Quark leans nothing, leaving him as much an unsympathetic and cardboard personality as ever. Which is... Boo! Well, that's pretty much what every reply to the review said as well, that, like, everybody disagrees. They attribute this to the anti-Ferengi bias of the reviewer. Okay, yeah, no, I absolutely <laughs> agree. Maybe we should have included no. that in ex- ejecting the warp core right, at the, I at the start. I guess so, but that's, nah, nah. That, that was like, most of the reviewers and the, the, the comments that people had on that are like, yeah, no, that's like, you are so wrong. It's like, you, you can argue the episode for, for enjoying it or not. And, in fact, lots of the hardcore Trek fans, Ferengi episodes are tend to be lower in uh, appreciation. Yes. Um, yeah, they tend to be more comedic right. and, and less serious and highbrow. But apparently, but yeah, on, on casual Star Trek viewers, they tend to score higher. Because they're both very relatable and quite sort of fanciful and exotic and interesting. Right. So the Nielsen rating of this episode, since we're talking about its popularity, was oh, yeah. 6.9. Nice. Nice. Which is even more fun because it's also the 69th episode of nice. DS9 that, li- that aired. Nice. <laughs> yes. Oh, <laughs> so this will be... <laughs> okay, so now I want to see what life is like on Deep Space 69. <laughs> oh, hey, Ooh, hey, brothers and sisters. I'm your counselor. I think that's in orbit around Verizon. <laughs> yeah, totally. That's right. I'm, I'm your counselor, Stephanie, and I'm going to be seeing to your orientation. Welcome to Starbase 69. We're soon going to host like the Sector Championships and doing it. Wow. That's not a funny nice. word. It's just like when you take all the different words for all the different things that different species do, like doing it is the one sort of thing that yes, right? yeah. comes to mind. I mean, that's very good, actually. Yes. You- yeah, right? So how about we sort of do a little introduction here? Like I've, I've mentioned, I'm Stephanie. And my pronouns are he, him, or bro. Oh, uh, they're my pronouns. That's just a little joke. Pronouns are not laughing matter, but it is, it's okay to have fun with things every now and again. How about you? I'm sorry, you completely broke <laughs> That's okay. You don't have to share. We respect boundaries here on Starbase 69. I'm Steph- Stephanie, whatever I said signing, my name was. Signing off, yes. <laughs> Thank you for not asking about my name. A lot of people do because it's usually your name. You started off by saying your name. <laughs> yeah, but there's not a lot of men called Stephanie. Right. And I'm named after my great aunt. Stephanie? Yeah. Okay, yeah. I have a really rich backstory that I'm no. probably going to be peppering over the next couple of appearances of Starbase 69, the host of the Sector Championships in doing it. 
<laughs> and after this intermission, we can... <laughs> right, so we were talking about Cisco being harassed by various... I went to Starfleet Academy on the Riker Academy. <laughs> Riker Scholarship. <laughs> I got really good. And let me see, what's the weird stuff? Oh, yeah, I'm actually really good at Umox. We do Speaking the of weird stuff. <laughs> yes, yes. <laughs> Jatsia's next. Have you met her yet? <laughs> she Who, joins in. Yes. Tells him, like, oh, yes, how about that captain? And If I were Curzon, I'd have stolen her from you by now. <laughs> and he goes, that's one of the reasons I'm glad you're not Curzon anymore. <laughs> and as he walks away, she goes, hmm, <laughs> might still, though. Yeah. Like, I know that you think you're off the hook, but... Yeah. <laughs> I, I also had a rotation on Starbase 69. <laughs> I'm really good at doing it. It's a lot of rotations on Starbase 69. <laughs> We're about to take the journey to Varengar, yes, or at least uh, Quark is. He's Quark fully is heading off, and Rom comes running up behind him saying that he is coming. He is not having any of it. He will not be talked out of going. What did I tell you about contradicting me? You told me not to do it. That's right. So you're going to stay here and watch over the bar while I'm gone. No, not the bar. It's closed. There's no reason why I can't come along. They've got cool bags. Uh, they've got weird bags. I like that about Star Trek. Yeah. There's always weird bags. Like when it's Starfleet personnel, they, they've got these weird, like, plastic hexagon extrusions on straps that are no way that are comfortable. Yes, no idea what it is. Like, I, I always wonder, it's like, are these just like weird bags they find on Etsy? Or is it just stuff that they specifically throw together by the prop department? Bit of both, right? I, I mean, think so, yeah. You can probably find some storage container painted white. I've, I've and- definitely seen bags and other stuff on Star Trek that I recognize like ah I know I've seen that bag around around in the wild oh <laughs> I need to introduce you to I think it's called Ex Astris Scientia a very very geeky website about Star Trek maintained yeah. by ooh gonna have to come up with the same Greg can you correct me on that please Ex Astris Scientia is run by Jorg Hillebrand and Bernd Schneider I couldn't find anything regarding the Ferengi duffel bags that you're referring to here. I was looking all over, I was trying to find it, and I wasn't able to, unfortunately. Thank you. Anyway, it has this awesome section about all the furniture that has oh, appeared on Star Trek The Next right. Generation. Because like, I had that as well, but with lamps. Oh, yes. There's several appearances of this lamp that's made of like cylindrical tubes. It sort of looks like a church organ rolled up, and then the edges were sort of cut off into a sphere. And I've mm-hmm. seen it like the founder's home world, and in this person's room, and in that palace chamber. My favorite one in that regard is that in BSG... Captain Adama's shaving mirror ah. is from Ikea. <laughs> and the Ikea name of that thing is Frack. <laughs> <laughs> so these bags, they sort of look like air balloon ballast. Yeah, a little right? bit. Hanging off the side. Or, yeah, sea anchors or, yeah, weird. They seem to be over overcompartmentalized. Uh, over That's a nice word. Diff- difficult one. <laughs> I like that. Quark doesn't want Rom to come along. Because he knows that he'll take Wookiee's side. And Rom says, Somebody has to. After all, she is our mother. So very, I'm coming. Yes, and that's very firm final. about it. Yeah. And Quark throws his hands up and goes like, whatever, let's do this. Yeah. Sort of showing that even though like Quark is the dominant party in their relationship. He doesn't have absolute control. Like Rom still does what Quark says because of obligation or because of yeah. work about a relationship because he's the older brother but he doesn't have absolute he doesn't he can't 
absolutely boss him around. It's like, it's not his word yeah. is law. Ron just usually does it out of loyalty, which I think that Mookie later says. I don't think Quark knows how lucky he is to have a brother as loyal as you. Yeah, and that he doesn't know how lucky it is. And Rom immediately says, He knows. He just doesn't like showing it. Right, because it, it suggests that there is an implicit level to relationship that both of them are aware of and comfortable with and grateful for that's not expressed verbally because yeah. this is still 90s Star Trek and in particular <laughs> men are very bad at expressing emotions or they're almost forbidden from doing so. Yes. Not Rom, though. Well, no, we get that scene where we talk talking about of them going into the household where you tip someone to be allowed into their house. Because we see it's raining. I think this is like... What? It's, it's almost constantly raining. You can hear it in the background of a lot of the other shots. There's like some thunder at some point. Yeah. And it's like, it seems to be a very rainy planet or at least a rainy area where they're living on. Because, oh, I mean, it's, it's Star Trek, so it's a monoclimate planet. Of, of course. course. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's towels right next to the door. Which I think is what the which implies uh, the fact for. that it, like it's a lot. Oh, that could be, yeah, right. So yeah, it's common to walk in wet, but dry your head and then move in right to the rest of the sense. house. Yeah. Oh yeah, actually, there's a later episode uh, set on Risa, you know, yeah. under the orbit of Deep Space Sixty Nine, yeah. where Quark does say at one point, you know, on Ferenginar we have X number of. Actually, Greg, can you drop in that clip? I have seen drier days on Ferenginar. And we have 178 different words for rain. Thank you. <laughs> also, cut this bit, but you can comment that a deep space 69 would not be in orbit around Riser because then it wouldn't be deep space, then it would be an orbital space station. So feel free to use that and cut that in as a smart-ass remark. Wait, earlier? Yeah, anyway, any point. Drop it in. Hey, Stephanie, deep space 69 can't be in orbit around Riser because then it wouldn't be deep space, it would be orbital space station. So is it orbital space station 69? How's that, Kay? Oh. Okay, do we still have a... Wait. <laughs> so you. is this... Thank are you, we, Greg. Has this now been dropped in early? Okay, well, then fine. We'll work, either use this or work it out. <laughs> okay. Now we're being like two bickering brothers because I want to comment on this. That's... Make your comment as if he just dropped it in. When? Now. When are we now? Just after... I mean, assume, assume that most okay, of this is going to get cut. That's an assumption to make, Greg. Oh, well. Has this been cut? <laughs> Absolutely has not been cut. You're on your own there. We don't know. We're all I still know. sort of finding each other. Anyway, the thing about Deep Space 69, the deep part isn't about how deep in space it is, but it's it's a doing it thing. Oh, maybe for 69, yes. Okay, I can, I can deal with that. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> that joke was really worth me digging in my heels and protesting the temporal mechanics. Greg, we're, we are both very sorry, sorry for <laughs> the extra work we're giving you. <laughs> No, it's fine. I'm just here to just let you guys dig your own holes, I guess. Uh, is that what's deep about Deep Space 69? Yes. Yeah, so, now we're finally uh, in the house, and it's this great set. It's got this domed ceiling where it's got like a reverse skylight. The actual yeah. sort of skylight comes down a bit from this, this domed ceiling. Strangely, even though they're a diminutive species compared to Earth standards. The doors are even lower. Yeah. Yeah. They all have to duck through the doors, and they're just fine with it. As if there's... Yeah. So there is a bit of trivia about that. Oh! Quark's family home on Ferenginar has a round hobbit-like front door. The authors for to Ira Stephen Barr and Robert Hewitt uh, Wolf's books Legend of the Ferengi is filled with Lord of the Rings references and they appear to be <laughs> avid J.R. Tolkien fans. So this might have been an intentional homage. Oh, that's homage. awesome. Sorry. Well, yeah, they are. You can, you can sort of map them to hobbits. 
Oh, in, way, in yeah. that they have like peculiar cultural traits and they're very, very busy. Gosh, yeah, aren't they? They aren't are busy? very busy, yes. Certainly compared to the high and lofty ideals of the Federation. Quark is informed that he has three days to get a signed confession from his mother, otherwise she will be sold into indentured slavery, uh, servitude. But she has other ideas because from the doorway appears Ishka. He understands all right. Not that it matters. I'm not confessing anything. Dressed. And talking, talking to a stranger. Which really throws Brunt off his uh, metal. Yeah, he's just like, he's kind of got his hand in front of his eyes and is like trying not to look. Shocked at the indiscretion shocked of a woman in clothes. clothes. And like talking to him. Perhaps I should leave. Perhaps you should. What, was she addressing me? And he's just like willing to accept the fact that even though she clearly was talking to him, it's just like it's easier for his brain to gloss over and take that for true rather than press the point. Yeah, I mean, this is obviously quite recognizable to a lot of us who've had experiences with other human cultures which have particular roles for people based mm. on gender, age, social status, skin color, appearance, race, ethnical, you know, level of education, where all of these things are expected and that refusing to accept those arbitrary boundaries is a huge social faux pas. Yeah. And lots of people trying to maintain the, the peace, so to speak. Don't was, stir the pot. I'm immediately reminded of, I think it was Martin Luther King, please correct me if I'm wrong, Greg, saying that peace isn't just the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of justice and that those are yeah. very different definitions. That is correct, Kaki. That quote is by Martin Luther King. Specifically, true peace is not merely the absence of tension. It is the presence of justice. It is from the 1958 book Stride Towards Freedom regarding the Montgomery bus boycott of 1955 to 1956. And the, the biggest problem is not necessarily the racists in uh, this case that he was talking about, mm. but the allies who really just want to keep things quiet, you know, who yes. propose themselves, uh, announce themselves to be allies, but can we just like keep things peaceful and nice? And Yeah, they just don't want to bother. They, they are not want, yes, upset. Allies, Those are not in a, allies in a search no. for justice. Yeah. Because, yeah, attaining justice is hard. It's messy. It's incredible work that we happily live in a time and in a part of the world where a lot of that work has been done for us yeah. by some very hardworking people across the world. Although... There's still plenty of room, especially in the trans debate. <laughs> uh, yes, debate fact, is the fact a, that it's called the trans debate is already a thing, as if like trans rights unquestioned. Yes, exactly. It should be debated in the first place. That's that whole notion is preposterous, but that's unfortunately how it's framed. Thankfully, we have examples to learn from, and we can continue in their vein. In fact, Ishka, I think herself is such an example. Yes, very much so, because she is uncompromising throughout this episode until the very end. Yes. And, and even then, she's just being subversive about it. Yes. And, she never compromises her own values. Yeah. But she makes a compromise to not appease a critic, because that's not like the relationship that she has with Quark, but out of love for her child yeah. is what she'll, she'll make some compromise in, but never with her own dignity and her own no. uh, values. And to be honest, the solution that she takes she probably could have taken at any point because she ends up giving a third of her profits and keeps going with the rest. Yep. So putting up this entire fight, making this big struggle, makes it probably less likely that people think that she's not giving it all up. Oh, you think she's strategic? I think part of it might have been, yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, she's I can clever. go with that. She's got the lobes for it, after all. Uh, speaking of lobes, <laughs> I love her and Rom. Oh, it's good to see you, son. You look well. Because they're the first to connect together. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of contact there. Like, she's constantly touching his head right. and, yes. like, caressing him. Bumping and... noses. Uh, yeah. I mean, Rom is clearly mummy's boy. Well, yeah. I think he's also just more generally honest about his emotions. Oh, totally. Yeah. Right? I think they both care very deeply about their mother. It's just Quark's used to not showing his emotions and being brusque and, and, and all of that nonsense. But yes, the first uh, this first uh, scene with Iskar ends with basically, yeah, no, I'd rather be sold in indentured slavery than pay back the profits that I made. Yep. And yes, and that's the last of it. I, I just love that final shot of the scene where it's Quark and Rom standing there and it's like, same old Moogie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Because this is the central conflict of this episode, right? Quark wants her to just be obedient, what is expected yeah. of her. He uh, doesn't want the fuss. He wants her to just conform to this value system that he really strongly believes in. Because he is a devout Ferengi. Yes. Right? He really believes in the, the value of these traditions in their society. And actually, in every other respect other than the gender roles, so is Ishka. Yes. She's very much a, yeah, an exemplar Ferengi. Yeah. Except for... While also yeah. still being compassionate yes. and independent, but she doesn't reject her culture or her, her values. She just wants them as well. Hey, greed as, a, as an yeah. essential Ferengi value. So, Speaking next, of greed. Well, yes. <laughs> next scene of Cisco being harassed about going on a date with the captain is when the doctor and... Our chief and their chief engineer, not our chief engineer, thank you, Greg. Brian O. Brian O. <laughs> are trying to break into the bar. Being observed by Odo doesn't seem to have a particular problem with them breaking into the bar. Uh, well, it seems that Quark has locked some of Chief O'Brien and Dr. Bashir's personal property inside the bar. Because they want to retrieve their dartboard. Their lucky dartboard. Uh, that's what Cisco calls it, which they, <laughs> so which they don't are not willing to admit to. <laughs> no, exactly. Uh, we never said it was a lucky dartboard. We just used to play on it, that's all. Odo observes, like, this is one of Rom's specials, so you're not going to get through easy. Yeah, um, uh, which also is echoed by Cisco, who says, like, oh, that's I, I don't remember what the exact It's a was. tripartite micro-sealing mechanism. It'll take you a while to get through that. Eyeballs from yeah. across the hall. <laughs> O'Brien is kind of, like, trying to, like, pretend that he's lockpicking or something like he's using electronic tools but he's like handling them in a way as if he is holding as he's trying to pick a cylindrical lock it's very interesting (laughs) i mean i guess it's the body language kind of signals what he's doing right yes but then okay well more uh, harassment about the captain if you want any suggestions i'll be in cargo bay four huh seven seven Four. Uh, oh, yeah. the, the other way around. Right. Okay, we got a Rochambeau better. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, well, why, why would I be in seven? Oh, well, that's because the freighter is there. And like, oh. And how do you know? And Julian immediately. <laughs> oh, Brian told me. Yeah. <laughs> it's Brian O. Immediately rats him out. <laughs> you see Brian looking up. What the f, man? Yeah. <laughs> exactly how many people has Jake told about this woman? Everyone. Which is nice that Jake, like, has apparently, like, a lot of connection with a lot of people on the Seems station. Be, I mean, it's like, I guess a lot of people, it's like, it's nice to be on good terms with the captain's uh, son. Um, I guess. I'd, I'd, I'd like to think it's more than that, though. Yeah, but 
So maybe I'm just it's just my cynical nature here. I know that the, an, a, another excellent Star Trek podcast, the uh, the Greatest Generation or the Greatest Trek, they're called Adam and Ben. Like they have a running gag where their nickname for Jake is for some reason Jake. Okay. Which, when you say it in a sentence, always sort of works out. For some reason, Jake is in this episode. Oh, right. Oh, uh, referencing the fact that Jake, like, doesn't have a whole lot to do for a regular character. Like, he doesn't get a lot of plots written around no. him. Like, the writers were uncertain what very, to do. With very him. few, yes. I mean, he's got his friendship with Nog. Which is iconic. Yeah. And I don't think without which this series would be what it is, because that, that through line is so amazing. But he, even Solo... Clearly, like, he's really well integrated into yeah. the station. Two grubs, extra juicy, just the way you like them. Basically, Quark is like, it looks like he's been up all night and trying to trace all the financial dealings that Mookie has been doing. While Rom has been cooking dinner. Yes. <gasps> That's mother's job. She's not feeling well. Not feeling well. Oh. Listen, uh, we can We can use that, says Quark. We can say that she has soft brain. Ah, yes. Yeah. But no, 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 she's just not feeling well. And like, oh, then there's like a whole little bit more about basically their upbringing and Ferengi culture, how mom didn't soften the food by chewing it for them, and which they apparently got teased about by the other kids. So more yeah. establishment of what uh, a individually minded uh, a person uh, she was. Yeah. Ishka, that's, yes. that's a good way to put it. Non-traditional. And also like Quark grew up without any other siblings. So when he's talking about, like, the other children teasing them, that's like they were teasing him, and he really didn't have a, a defense against that. And yeah. clearly, like, Rom wasn't bothered by it. No. Like like he said, Mugi always had her own way of doing things. Yeah. She does show up to eat, though, and it kind of turns into a shouting match. It doesn't matter whether it's one slip or 100,000 bars. Females are not allowed to earn profit. Why not?! Because it's the law, and without law, society would descend into chaos. If you ask me, this society could use a little chaos. Not if I have anything to say about it. And again, Rom is being so sweet almost about it, and he's like, oh. Gee, I wish father were alive. And they look at him with a why? Well, because then it would be just like old times. <laughs> and then you see them both turning to the camera. And it's like almost this a full war break. Kid. Yes. <laughs> what? <laughs> Read the room, Rom. Yeah. Read the Rom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's so many great gifs in this scene where they're talking about her investment. She's been taking some of the stipends that Cork has been sending her every yes. month and investing that in a beetle, a Hyperion beetle farm. High-quality beetle. And she goes, the best. We're going to get a lot of mileage out of this gif. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a fantastic one. And Rom goes like, why, why don't you just pay it back? It's only three bars of latinum. And but it's the point. Well, and it turns out that it's much more than that. Because yeah. he finds out that, like, he literally says that. Even if I sold everything I have, I couldn't come close to paying back what she's earned. But even before that realization, even when it was just about the point, you see Quark imploring his mother to, in his mind, do the right thing. Yes. At least in public. Like, he knows that she's, she's unconventional and she's a disappointment to him. He loves her still. Well, it always comes down to the argument goes around and round a few times where he wants her to just like give in, and she asks him like why, and he says it's the law. Yeah, and that's, yeah, that's not an argument. Like she said, just tell, give me one reason. It's like it's law. That's not a reason. That's a that's an excuse. <laughs> that's an excuse. Yeah, yeah that's uh... because he is demanding something from from her. That, well, I like to think that Quark has made no Quark has made sacrifices 
that he believes are equal to what he's asking from his mother. Mm. He's not entirely self-centered, of course, in misogynistic societies. It just happens to be that greater limits are placed on women than on men, and that's just how it works out. But it's not as if he's a a complete hypocrite and that he wouldn't be willing to make enormous sacrifice. And I think, like, before or after this in the rest of Deep Space Nine, he does face censure by the Ferengi Mm -hmm. in in general. He, He bears a lot of these discomforts. So when he's asking her, like, he's on his knees... And he says, you know, Ferengi won't do business with it. I wouldn't do business with me. Yeah. If our disgrace is made known, do you think we could ever do business with another Ferengi again? I wouldn't do business with me. It's such a shame that the only time that he's actually honest about his, his emotions is when he's using that almost as a manipulation. Right, yes. To get his way. Because, like, yeah, it's perfectly valid to have these concerns and to share them with someone you love. Yeah. But when they're doing something that's disadvantaging you. What follows is a scene which many people found very uncomfortable, where Rom is uh, in his mother's uh, bedroom, which he comments that is very traditional, and he suddenly gets a case of shy about the clothes again. He's not really shown any of that so far. Yeah. And suddenly he's almost acting like Brunt was at the beginning, where he's like constantly looking away and right. uh, not willing to uh, look at his mother uh, while she's wearing clothes. Would you feel more comfortable if I took them off? Well, maybe. Just a little. Yeah, yeah he's very gentle about it. He yeah. doesn't ask her that, okay, but only for, for you. you. Yes. To make her child happy. And he is. And he, and he comes over and they cuddle. Yes. So and tell me about some of these responses. Well, uh, the, it's mostly about how, how it was played. Yeah, so this is from the uh, AV Club site, which has a review on this site. Mm -hmm. Um, And they describe this scene as following. The way Rom keeps averting his eyes from his clothes-wearing movie is goofy enough, but her decision to disrobe, then his decision to lay his head on her lap, then her decision to sharpen his teeth for him, which he is very happy about... I understand the intention, but there's something distracting about watching a son beg his mother to disrobe that even a basic understanding of imagined cultural differences can't get past. The fact that the writers proceed to rub our faces in the awkwardness is either a drastic piece of misjudgment or a wicked bit of audience nose-tweaking, and I'm not sure which. Interesting. I guess it hadn't occurred to me that this scene might have been played for laughs. Because, like, I don't know. I, I, to me, it felt like it was played for awkward. Even that, I mean, that's, yeah. that's, that's cringe comedy. Right. right. Okay, but, yeah, fair. Like, this feels like, oh, I don't know if I really ought to compare it to anything in the sort of human culture, but, I mean, yeah, let's do something gentle, like a mother cooking a dish that she loathes, but her child right. loves, uh. because she make it very clear, I'll do it for you. It's an expression no, of love, and, and, and we enjoy those opportunities, and... There is something wonderful about comfort with uh, with one's body. True. Uh, we have a lot of hang-ups and taboos around that. But... Which they clearly don't, especially, well, unless it, it involves too many clothes. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, there is, like, the difference between nakedness and nudity, right? Yes, Which is very much culturally, so. appro- yeah. culturally appropriate in different circumstances. Or well, in that case, her outfit definitely doesn't meet the Star Trek standard of in danger of it from falling off. So <laughs> That's the, uh, the William Ware Tice theory of titillation. <laughs> yes. That, that uh, an outfit looks hotter when it might just, oops, it might just fall off. <laughs> All right. Now we finally get the meeting between the captain and, uh, sorry, yeah, Captain Cisco and Captain, what's her name again from the... Cassidy the, Yates. Cassidy Yates. Oh, she's got great hair. Yes. 
So he kind of like sidles up to her and starts making small talk about the cargo which is being transported on board. Yeah, the crew's having some trouble with yeah, it. So I didn't want to beam it over. Go have a bit. gravity sled. You're still using a Mark Six. A Mark Five. Oh, Mark Five. I thought they uh, stopped making those things. Fifteen years ago, but when you're working for the Paterians, you have to make do with what they give you. Oh, let me guess, Commander Cisco. Like, she's also just a working woman. Something goes wrong. She needs to go off and fix it. He offers to help. I thought this was, this was really great. Yes. He offers to help. He makes an approach. She says, oh, no, I can take care of it. But she's setting a boundary. Coffee? Yeah. And he, but he says, of course. And he backs off. Yeah. Like, respecting a boundary. And then she goes, oh, well, hold on. I see what this was now, and I'm actually into it. Yeah. We've been set up. and <laughs> Yeah, because he's about to walk away. Oh, yeah, of course. Sorry about Jake. And that would have been it. Yes, if there had been no interest whatsoever, then, yeah, all all set and done for and we're ready to go. And I think she likes that as well. There is an aspect. He is a person in a position of power. As she notices, you know, their conversation starts before she even actually looks at him and notices the three pips on his collar. Oh, you must be Commander Cisco. Ah, you're him. Yes. (laughs) How about coffee? Say tomorrow evening, 1800 hours. Sounds good. I'll see you tomorrow. Now we get the scene where Quark, Quark discovers, discovers that he's, he's, he's dead, that like he's ruined. It's like there's no way he can pay this back. He goes back to implore his mother to like give it all back, and she says, no, this is not about money. Rom tries to appease Quark again, going, hey, I'm, I'm so glad that you didn't overreact and that you're just going to, because you're too smart for that. You're yeah. Sit down and come up with a solution. His Getting solution is, up. I'm going to kill her. And then comes the... Now they're just ejecting their warp cores at each other. They just have a rolling through the living room fight with each other. Oh, that's where it winds up. First, it's between Quark and Moogie. Yeah. Where they're both pulling out all the stops. Quark doesn't have that much more in his quiver besides what he's already said. There's a little bit of bitching about his father, who apparently had no lobes for business. Yep, which Quark takes enormous umbrage to. Right. Even in the face of all evidence that it's absolutely correct. Yep. Rom puts it greatly. He couldn't hold on to latinum if he sewed, sewed into it into his, his clothes. clothes. Yeah. He went from one bad deal to the next, one failure after another. He couldn't hold on to latinum and just sewed it into his pants. Yeah, Rom was aware of it. Apparently Quark was yes. willfully ignorant of it. Yeah. I mean, she does say later on, oh, gosh, we're, we're sort of just time skipping through this episode, but that's fine. Yeah. He was a good husband. And a wonderful father. And I loved him for that. Which is honestly a real relief because the role of women in Ferengi culture is not known to to have a lot of agency. But it's nice that their marriage, whether it was arranged or maybe it was by choice or some form of use. No idea how this works. Doesn't sound like a culture where women would have a lot of say in the marriage. But she did have love and and, and respect for, for him. She cared for him and the children that they had together. Yeah. So at least that wasn't horrible. At least that wasn't horrible, yes. Hey, you know, you, you do what you can. <laughs> yeah. you, you look for the bright side where you yes. where you can. Oh, yes. And now when Mugi decides that she's, when Ishka decides that she's had enough of this and she's, I'm bored of this. I'm going for a Twix. Yes. <laughs> and now Rom lets Quark have it as well. And 
I don't know what they did with the prosthetics, but like they're grabbing each other by the head. They're squishing those those prosthetics. Lows, yeah. Fling each other across the room. This is one long handheld shot. Then there's a cut and we get the actual stunt people jumping over tables and bumping into vases. <laughs> yes. But wow. Ended by Mookie coming in, grabbing them both by the lobes and pulling them apart. And Quark says, you're on your own. I'm going to sell out my mother yep. and tell the FCA everything. Okay, so we see a shot of, of Ferenganar, probably the capital. That's how it usually goes when you see exterior yeah, shots from Star Trek. Again, so, yeah. There's a big spire in the middle. Do you think that's where the Ferengi Commerce Authority is? Yeah, Kaki, that's where I am. I'm in the Tower of Commerce. Which apparently has the, the office that you need to go to is on the 47th floor. Yeah. And you get to either to uh, walk the stairs or pay seven slips of Latinum to take the elevator. <laughs> and Quark's too cheap and to take the elevator. To, yes, because he arrives panting. Leans Looks up against the wall, goes, oh, dilithium's down 10%. <laughs> Bribes the attendant for a meeting with FCA officer Brunt, who says, oh, please take a seat. <clears throat> How much? Three. Three. I'll stand. Oh, that'll be one. <laughs> take the chair for two. A little bit of hackling. Fine. Yes. More money goes into the thing. It must be exhausting, but also, at the same time, if this is just a cultural trait... Yeah. I guess, like, Klingons looking at how people in our culture, like, engage in, like, small talk while shopping or whatever. Like, they're wasting so much time greeting and departing and thanking for things that don't deserve thanks. It's just a transaction. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Like Social grace, I guess. Yeah, but that's a cultural thing. Yeah. Oh, yes, I wanted to tell you, I taught you wrong about Klingon when, that, oh. when we did the word of the day. Okay. I taught you that the GH was, was a G mm-hmm. sound, and it's not. So you've got the H, which is a G, like yeah. the Achlaut. Like yeah. we, know, we have it in our language as well, and Scotch and Spanish have it as well. Yeah. And the GH is a voiced version of that, so oh. G. Oh. Kind of like the French roll right. R, but it's guttural. So I think it was Kag was the word that you were supposed to have. Right. And that came up because the Klingon word for hello, which doesn't exist, but the closest thing they've got is nuknech, which is, what do you want? Fair. <laughs> right? And it's not rude. It's just sort of a social prompt, like, you have approached me and you haven't yet said oh. what we're talking about. So <laughs> what do you want? Yeah. You are invited to not waste my time. Yeah. <laughs> because Quark is there because he's brought the pad with all the business dealings that he's found and he's going to hand them over to the liquidator. But... Rom comes there, panting. I have to sit down. Guess, oh, yeah. like, has to borrow three slips of latinum from uh, <laughs> Quark to sit on the chair. <laughs> I have a message from Mookie. There's nothing she could say that would interest me. She'll share it with you. And 50-50. He goes, let's take the elevator. I yep. can afford it now. Yeah. <laughs> so, no, we're not giving information to Brunt. But and a contrite Quark walks into his mother's home. Says, "Mother, I want to apologize." Yes, I got angry, got carried away. I'm sorry. And both of them are like, "Oh, they're connecting. They're warm with each other." And then he says, "So, how much latinum have you made?" Does it matter? I just want to make sure that everything is divided fairly. Divided. Because it turns out that Rom told Moogie yep. that he was going to uh, drop it all and go with her. And he told, yeah, Quark that she was willing to split half her profits and, yeah, basically to get them together. And he puts his foot down yep. very firm. And he, he puts his brother and mother down in their chairs without even charging the money. No. Nope. Uh, <laughs> What's well, their house? You know, you, I don't think you have to, like, pay money in your own house. Yeah, you'd, you'd think. Yeah. But he says, like, 
You're both acting like children. Who do you think? I will not stand by and let this family fall apart. Quark, you should be ashamed of yourself. I've seen you treat Cardassians with more respect than you show your own mother. And Moogie? If Quark can uncover your hidden investments, eventually the FCA will too. And then all that profit will be lost. Think about that for a moment. Now, neither of you is going to leave this room until you've settled things. Is that clear? And no shouting, he shouts. Yes. And then... <laughs> I'm going to take a nap. And one was out of the room. <laughs> Which is sort of like Beverly Crusher. I'm leaving Starfleet. Energize. <laughs> <laughs> and he leaves and he lets them talk it out. And like, I love her. Like, oh, she's, he's such a sweet boy. Yeah. Because now they, they have common ground, yes. which is their relationship with Rom. And they see the exact same person, someone who doesn't stand up for himself enough. He's not dominant, yeah. but he is right. You're too hard on him. You always have been. I had to be. You were always too easy on him. And yes, they come to the agreement that, yeah, Rom is maybe a little bit more like his father and Quark is more like his mother. Ouch. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, that part is pretty good, but like, there's also a line where Quark says to Ishka, like, Maybe if you pushed him a little bit harder, he would have amounted to something. I doubt it. <laughs> yeah. Ooh. <laughs> With the father thing, like, you enjoy insulting father, and she says, no, no, but it's true. He yeah. just wasn't a great it's, business person. Yeah. God, they're being so real with each other. And she decides that to make her son happy, she's going to give back the money. Yeah. That's the only thing that could, con that, that could convince her, not compel her. And it helps that, of course, she is, like, well. it'll allow her to keep doing what she's doing. But, you know, she's being, she's still being sneaky, at least. I mean, she, no, she never stops being sneaky to Quark. She tells Rome at the end. As long as he doesn't find out you only gave the FCA a third of your profits. If you ask me, a third was too much. But she acknowledges Rom's point. Hey, like, if Quark had done this digging, the FCA would have found it, and I would have been in even more trouble. Yeah. So this is, like, in his way, he's done this family quite a service. Absolutely. And she's right to show her appreciation. We finally get to the scene where Cisco and the captain are having coffee. Yeah, there's, it's not very, it's not like... It's super well. I mean, it's not bad, but it's like small talk. Can I get you another octogena? Uh, no, I'm fine. I kind of, kind of had another thing going. And again, he's respectful of the boundaries. He's, yeah. Which uh, turns out that it was her brother who likes to play baseball. Sliding into second. Yes. That sounds like baseball. An I, unknown sport that he's also super into which, because, wait, which what, some, sliding into second? Somehow on planet is like they started to go archaic about baseball, revive a 200-year-old sport. I mean, I can see how that would happen. You know? Right. Like you're on some stupid colony and there's one other person with an obsession for this. And What are you talking about? You introduced me to the sport Kub. Right, yes. Right, exactly. Which is, what is it, Vulcan, <laughs> Vulcan, Viking lawn dart? How did you describe it? Uh, I'd say it's, it's more like Viking Patank, but... Oh, yeah. It's, a, it's an excellent game with, with sticks and soldiers. It balances and sticks. really well. Right, yes. Uh, look into it. It's very funny. You play it on a lawn or a piece of sand, wherever, and it's like two teams, and they throw sticks at each, at the, at each other's towers, and the, the objective... Underhand, so it doesn't get oh, right, out yes. of hand. <laughs> yes. Also a, a Viking quality. They... <laughs> I wonder if Klingons would enjoy that. They probably would. Probably, yeah. 
But they play it with knives, it's I think. You probably say there's not enough ankle-breaking involved. But... <laughs> it's my favourite sport, but no-one has played it for 200 years. Well, they're playing it on Cestus Three. At least they have been for the last six months. I had no idea. That's fantastic. How many teams are there? The The chemistry between these two. The incoming transmission is an audio broadcast of the match that is being played. Between the Pike City Pioneers and the whatevers. I wonder if it's named after Captain Pike. Some of the other thing, Comet. And the Cestus Comet. Oh, Pike City. Yeah, could well be. And this is, like, okay... As fictional relationships go, they're often started by moments of peril, right? People who are in trouble together and suddenly find themselves deeply attracted to one another. It's an action movie trope. Something that Greg has a lot to say about, (laughs) eh, eh? Displaced arousal? Chief Engineer Greg here. That would be the misattribution of arousal theory. The idea being that if you're in a situation where your body is being physically aroused, say you are on a rickety bridge or you are on a roller coaster and there is someone next to you, you're brain misattributes the physical state of arousal that you were in, the fact that your heart is racing and your adrenaline is pumping to the person nearest you. So actually for a class, we did go to an amusement park and look at couples before going on a roller coaster and after going on a roller coaster and count the number of touches they would give each other in a 60 to 90 second window and tally those up. And the findings are pretty consistent across the board, consistent enough that this is a recurring class at my alma mater as an excuse for students to go to an amusement park for a day. Thank you for what I presume is a 25-minute essay uh, on that topic. Thank you so much. But in this case, like, it's a shared interest. And this is, I bet you, this is something that Jake knew Yes. Oh, judging by the smug look on his face when he's standing on the promenade, because he was like eavesdropping on their date. Yeah. He was just standing on the promenade, what, looking down at his dad and the potential new interest having their first coffee date. Yeah. And he's got this, he could get this smug little satisfied look on his face that like, yes. And he specifically didn't tell dad that she was into baseball. Yeah. He let that come up organically, them discover each other. It's defo the reason why he set his dad up with the only other person in the quadrant who knows what baseball is. knows what baseball is, yes. Yeah. And, like, he's got got these questions for her, like... Would bats or polyduronide? Would, of course. Do you think your brother could use a right-handed pitcher? Sure, yeah. (laughs) Do you have a dedicated pitcher rule? Uh, No. (laughs) Final scene is Quark's house where... Ishka is is seated amid what looks like tribbles. I know it's not, but... Yeah, I don't know. There's all these foreground things. I, I don't know. I guess they're just, like, strategically placed to hide the boobs. And she's doing a wonderful airhead impression. Yeah. She's just having such a great time with it. Strategic topiary. <laughs> I, <think so. laughs> I know, yes. Uh, yeah, it keeps things PG-13. Yes. So, yes, the, the, the profits get handed over, the, the deed gets signed. Yeah, and, and Brunt is kind of smug about it. like Your mother's confession will serve as a warning to females all over the Alliance. <laughs> yes. Oh, well, about that. Could we maybe, like, you know... What would people say if they knew a female had earned that much land? So, and he hands over a bag. Yep, oh, and yes, Brunt agrees. He might be able to, like, uh, avoid that part. And there's a, there's a fantastic goodbye here. I sincerely hope I never see any of you again. The feeling 
is mutual. <laughs> and this also seems like it's a perfect. They both laugh. So I wonder if this is like a, a, a traditional, for, like <laughs> you're right, like the Klingon. What do you want? Is this is like a normal, a normal way for a Ferengi to say goodbye to each other? Oh, so and uh, Ishka stands up, puts her dress, dress back on. Yes. Yeah, Quark, it's my house. We've been over this. Yeah. They really sort of connect and embrace as a family. They Quark have... immediately says, like, I'm leaving, though. Yeah. So she does the mother thing. It's like, oh, you could call your mother occasionally or even visit. And he actually promises he will. As the son of a mother. Yeah. You know, whenever I see something like that, I go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I sure should call them again. Yeah. I really did mean to do that more often. Yeah. Several absolutely. times in my life, didn't I? Absolutely. Sorry, Mum. Yeah. And he leaves, picks up one of those weird bags. Then there's the moment we, between, yeah, when Rom says goodbye to Ishka. Yeah. And the cat comes out of the bag when it was only a third of the profits that she told about. And like, I've got it hidden so well, I'll be lucky if I can find it. <laughs> well, I think we haven't seen the last of uh, Ishka. But she does send him away with take good care of your brother, which is interesting, yes. Yes. Because it seems that, yeah, even with Quark being the dominant one in that uh, relationship, it's like, yeah, he, Rom is always taking care of Quark, like keeping an eye out for him you know, yep. in, in, uh, in, in the way that he sees best fit, I suppose. And, yeah, they, they have different viewpoints. But, yep. yes, he is, he is always looking out for his brother. There are many toxic aspects to this relationship. Oh, yes. But there is love between them, and that's beautiful. So, yeah, looking at Rugger's recommendation, thank you so much. This was a really, a really great episode. Because, like, think about how there are no human morals that take place throughout this entire episode. No, absolutely not. There's no moral lesson that's based on human culture. It's, it's a fully alien story, which, I don't know, maybe some aspects were played for comedy for the 90s audience of the time. I guess but we don't have to read it like that. We get to appreciate this. It's just a, a, a viewpoint into, into a culture that isn't our own. I think it's a fantastic episode. Right, me it's, too. I can see that there's some, some bits are like a little bit cringy here and there. The rampant sexism and all that kind of things. But Yes, but it, yeah. sexism that someone it's, is a champion against. Exactly. This is an injustice yes. and it's marked as that and that's a valid part of a, a that story. Is, that is not played for laughs at all. Okay, I have I have had some ideas. All right, do tell. Okay, so I have ideas for, for two segments, one of which I, I want to try out and the yeah. other one, you still have the option of vetoing, but I will tell you what it is. So you can... I have to you can, veto something that I... Don't yeah. know what it is. Yeah, but you'll be able to sort of listen to the tone of my voice and, and see like the face that I'm pulling, and maybe yeah. it'll convince you one way or the other. But the first one that I think we both agree on, okay. I've thought of a fun sort of closing segment that we can do to, to review this episode. Okay. We talked about like Pike Reef before, yes, and the, and the sort of weirdos that have occurred here and there. I want you to imagine a deleted scene that you imagine was part of this, right? So like if we would do this for the briefing that Pike was late for and dismissed everyone else. I would have imagined that we could have seen like five other briefings that he walked into and dismissed everyone just to get them out of his calendar. <laughs> okay, yeah. Right? You get the sort of vibe. So was there something that happened in this episode that you feel might have like extended further but was cut out? Oh, that's what you mean. Right? Um, I see your serious face. It is an opportunity to be an absolute oaf. Oh, uh, well, I mean, the, the first thing that sprang to mind is that, that, that I kind of ex would have expected a post-credits uh, shot where there is a, a vehement argument between Rom, 
uh, Quark, uh, O'Brien, and Bashir about what happened to the door and where has the dartboard gone? <laughs> and why is it like, like well, we're going to put it back? We're like, you better put it back. I know it's your dartboard, but you can't play it in my club. <laughs> yes, yes, I agree that the lock proved so difficult to dismantle right, that, the, that it was easier to just vaporize the walls no, no, around they, the they, area. They, they literally just made a cut out of the, uh, of the wall where the dartboard was on the other side and they just oh, took the entire wall segment out. <laughs> just flipped it around yes. facing the other way. So now they're standing in Keiko's yoga class yeah. playing darts. It's not the same. And they're standing in the hallway of the promenade where the bar... <laughs> Oh, that's brilliant. Oh, when you first started, when you said, oh, I want a post, I thought you were going to say post-coital scene with like Cassidy <laughs> no. and Cisco. That's Gosh. maybe a little premature. Uh, yes. You know, they're not, yes, on, they're no. not on Starby 69, do you? <laughs> yes, not yet. All right, oh. And the other one, which I will not veto. Oh, okay. Bring well, it. in that case, in that case, I need just a second to prepare. Okay, you can look now. Because okay. here's how we're finishing this okay. episode. Sing King Karaoke, 9 to 5 by Dolly We're going to do karaoke, you and me. Okay. Because this is all about, like, a woman making her way in the world, earning profit for herself, okay. and who better than Dolly Parton to sing us this triumph. I tumble out of bed and I stumble to the kitchen, pour myself a cup of ambition and yawn and stretch and try to come alive. You do the next one. Jumping, jumping in the shower yeah. and the blood starts pumping Out on the street the traffic starts jumping With folks like me on a job from nine to five Yeah! Working nine to five What a way to make a living Barely getting by It's all taken and no giving Just use your mind And they never give you credit Sing it! It's, it's enough, enough to drive you crazy If you let it to five, yeah! For service and devotion, you would think that I would deserve a fair promotion. Want to move ahead, but the boss won't seem to let me. I swear sometime this man is out yeah! to get me. Mm-mm-mm. <laughs> Aren't you glad you didn't veto? They let you dream just to watch them shatter Just, just to step on the boss man's ladder But you got dreams he'll never take away God damn it, that was a hard one We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode With your friends Kay and Cocky Production and editing by your chief engineer Greg And music by Fox Amore Join us next week for Enterprise Season 2 Episode 5 A Night in Sickbay Visit joyoftrek.com slash links to send us your recommendations, support us on Patreon, or find us on Blue Sky, Instagram, and Facebook. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening to Joy of Trek, and we'll see you out there. Are we going to do this at the end of every episode? Hey, you have the option of coming up with something better. All right, will do. Bye. Bye. Energize. <laughs> Energize.